What's up? Welcome back. I'm Adam Stachowiak, and you are listening to Founders Talk. On this show, I share one-on-one conversations I have with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, lessons learned, and what it takes to build and run their business. Today on Founders Talk, I'm joined by Eugenio Pace, the founder and CEO of AuthZero. AuthZero is a for developers, by developers, identity, access, security, and authentication platform built for the cloud that secures billions of logins every year. Mid-2020, they raised $120 million at a $1.92 billion valuation after being told no several times. Then, earlier this year in March, they announced they were being acquired by Okta for $6.5 billion in a bold and future-thinking all-stock deal. This episode with Eugenio is full of wisdom, inspiration, and tactical advice that he's used to build AuthZero. Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We use Linode. We love them. They're fast. They're simple. Get 100% credit at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by Render, the zero DevOps cloud that empowers you to ship faster than your competitors. Here's Anurag Goel, CEO of Render, sharing why developers choose Render over Heroku and how they're innovating much faster. A lot of Render customers come to us from Heroku and they tell us Render is what Heroku could have been. I think it's because we offer a more streamlined approach to hosting modern cloud applications at a significantly better price point. Applications on Render heal themselves and scale automatically, giving developers the features and flexibility of something like Kubernetes, but without any of the complexity. We're always working to bring the latest industry advances to our platform. So your applications can leverage the state of the art in the cloud without you having to do or learn anything. All right, learn more about how Render compares to Heroku at render.com slash compare or email changelog at render.com for a personal intro and to ask questions about the Render platform. Again, that's render.com slash compare or email changelog at render.com. So Eugenio, great to have you here on Founders Talk. I'm a big fan of Auth0. I've been paying attention to your space for quite a while. And I'm so excited to have you on the show because you have such an interesting story where, you know, it kind of begins with not really failure, but somewhat failure because this is in your first company. And so for those catching up uh, recently, Office Year was acquired by Okta for billions of dollars, not millions, but billions, which is always a great thing, right? $6.5 billion. Second business, you're an entrepreneur. You've been down many roads, learned lots of lessons. What's the best place to begin to share the journey of yourself and for Auth0. Thank you, Adam, for having me. It's really it's really great to be here, and I'm really happy to be able to tell my story. Hopefully, my story is uh, useful for others. So, um, yeah, technically, Auth0 is my second company. My first company, we started it just after college. Now, granted, this was like decades ago. Right. I was born in Argentina. Argentina is a very different place today from what it was, you know, decades ago. But it was still not precisely the most fertile ground for starting a company. Okay. No capital, no investors, no... Hey, there was no internet back then. (laughs) You know, there were barely phones uh, at that time. And so, you know, knowledge... 
knowledge didn't spread in the same way that it spreads today. And the world was like farther away for me. So that's the excuse that I use uh, or few of the excuses that I use to, to justify why it didn't work out. Yeah. I also own the fact that it didn't work because I had a very limited view of what building a, a great business was. And I also was arrogant and I thought as an engineer that uh, product would trump everything and so that, you know, build it and they will come kind of mentality. And I built a great product. It was a, a product that was modern and interesting and solved, you know, real problems and, and whatnot. But I didn't take into account everything else that is required to build a great company. That's the reason it didn't work out. So in the end, product does not trump everything. It takes more than just simply great engineering, great product. At what point did you begin to learn those lessons? You wouldn't really call your first business a failure necessarily, because I think that you know, anything that we do and do trying well, I think is a success because you can always take away learnings, right? You can always take away some experience from that into the next thing that you know, there's always, you know, sort of this positive to any sort of negative. Would you agree with that? I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think we use success and failure. We use KPIs that are very rudimentary. I don't think there's any, there's no failure ever. There's always, you know, a learning. There's always the true, true, true failure from my perspective is when you do something and it doesn't work and then you go and you do the same thing without any learnings from that experience. Mm, yeah. You know, making a mistake twice uh, with disregard of what happened before, that's actually true failure from my perspective. Other than that, there's always like a learning and, you know, uh, what we so-called failure is it's really feedback from the environment that something didn't work out and that you have to try something new or you have to fix an approach or, what, or whatever. I like that. So you're saying that failure is feedback, essentially. It's just feedback to us trying things in our life. And it's a feedback process that sort of informs our next steps. Exactly. And so my, my biggest lesson, if any, was that having a learning mindset I think it's kind of essential for entrepreneurship because, you know, you have to be open to uh, making mistakes all the time. Yeah. So I opened up saying you're, I mean, I threw the cat out there, basically. $6.5 billion acquisition with Okta, another major player in the identity and authorization uh, and security space. It's such a big deal. I think you're going to, what I think might be happening is people may be coming to this podcast in particular, knowing the story after potentially the, after the acquisition, they may have known off zero knew they were in the space, you know, but didn't really have the understanding of what you represent. And, you know, Matthias, your partner who helped build this company with you and many others involved, you know, I want to sort of like one congratulations for that massive acquisition. We can talk about the all stock deal and why that makes sense. But the point I'm trying to get to is that, I don't want people to come to this podcast in your store with just simply knowing only that. I want them to know the behind the scenes. You know, what got you to that point? Like, sure, this may be the next mountaintop or the next big milestone that may be the next starting point for you, which I've heard you say. But take us back. Take us back to the beginning, basically. Why was it important to start this company? And how did you get to the point to actually start this company? 
Yeah, that's that's great. And yes, you know, overnight success uh, takes a long time. That's right. Precisely. I would say that, you know, I always wanted to build. I'm I'm a builder, you know, at heart, I'm a builder. So I'm I'm a cr- creator of stuff. I'm a problem solver. That's really my DNA, my true DNA. That's why I chose engineering because, you know, engineering it's all about solving problems and making things easier for people or for uh, the world we are in. And so I always liked that. And that was my first attempt. didn't work out fine. I joined uh, companies. I worked for a bank. And then eventually I, uh, in 2000, I survived. I was part of the Y2K thing that some people might remember. Some people were not even born, <laughs> you know, are, that are listening to this, uh, to this uh, podcast. But anyway, Y2K happened. The world continued to exist. And uh, I joined Microsoft. And that was one of the best things that happened to me. Uh, I joined Microsoft in Argentina. So Microsoft Argentina as a consultant, as I was helping customers adopt technology from Microsoft to solve their problems. And so I worked with developers. Microsoft was trying to become an enterprise vendor, in essence. At that time, we were competing with with you know Oracle and Java and Sun Microsystems. And my job was to convince customers that Microsoft had equally good technology to build mission-critical apps. That was my thing. Long story short, I joined in 2000, and I spent 13 years of my life in Microsoft uh, as a consultant first, but then in the, in the product, so building products for developers. So Visual Studio, the .NET framework, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was a, a small uh, cog in a big, big machine, but I would dare say that Alt Zero would not have been possible without my tour of duty in Microsoft. Because in Microsoft, I learned to build technology at scale, to build a global company. I realized that software and technology were the product, were critical components of a successful business. But equally important is a field, a you know, good sales team, marketing, support, you know, finance, all the other organs of a, of a company that all work together for, you know, delivering value to, to the market. It's a symphony, right? Wouldn't you say it's a symphony? Like if you're, if you're at a symphony and you hear one instrument, it's not a symphony. It's a solo. It is. Right. So, you know, I, I'm from Argentina, so I like uh, football analogies. Okay, give me one. Soccer analogies for, for the, our Americans' friends. When we ask, uh, how, do, how do you win at soccer? The typical answer is you win by, by scoring goals. And that's not how you win, actually. You win by scoring more than the other team. And to score more, you, you need to have great defense and a great goalkeeper. And you also need a great midfielder and forwards. Yeah. You cannot win with only one component. You need the entire team. So soccer, which is a good metaphor for many things, I think it applies to business uh, the same way. So you need a symphony, like you said. 
it takes a while to learn that lesson. You mentioned this tour of duty, and I like the term tour of duty at Microsoft for 13 years. You mentioned VS Code, .NET Framework. Behind the scenes, I've also seen your involvement in what is now called Azure. You know, so cloud computing, essentially. You mentioned before your previous business, how you said you were arrogant. You thought product was only the only thing that really mattered. And you learned about the company aspect of it. Why do you think, I mean, I guess this is the 2000s. So this would go to 2013, roughly, based upon the timeline of starting off zero. Correct. You know, Microsoft was very, a very different company, maybe. I think Microsoft even had like different versions of themselves over the years, over the decades even, because they're such a, a long-standing company. But why do you think it took you to be there to learn those things, like that kind of organization, to learn that kind of aspect of building the right kind of team, to respect all aspects of the of the symphony? Well, you know, failing at my first uh, attempt and other things that happened in my life in between, you know, I, I skipped a few things uh, in between my first venture and Microsoft. So in in that gap, I, I was also, you know, I spent one year in the army. I was drafted in the army, not something that I designed in my life. And that was a, that was a very humbling experience as well. You know, I, I learned that, uh, Events happen in your life that you don't fully control, and uh, but you can always control how you react to those events and what you do, what you make of those events. So the humbling experience I, I, and the learning mindset, I brought it into Microsoft and I used, I used that to absorb as much as I could from, from the system. Microsoft... I think has a great two two big things from it. One, it's a company that it's amazing at reinventing itself. Yeah. Given how big it is, so if you look at all the like major crises in the in our industry, and they were able to reinvent themselves in dramatic ways. Now, the other thing that I that was you know interesting and I, I take away from Microsoft is. The amazing people that work there. So they were like really talented um, individuals. You know, there were days that I would pinch myself and say, like, somebody will figure it out that I'm not this great, <laughs> surrounded by all these amazing individuals. And so I took the opportunity to learn to learn from all of them. But look, you know, um, there's also luck. Sure. We call luck. I think one of the biggest components in what we call luck is timing. And so the, the, the time when we do things. And so when, when in 2010, 11, a couple of years before starting on zero, there was this thing that was becoming a thing, which is cloud computing. And my job, my boss at that time said, Eugenio, you have to go and find out anything that will stand in the way of developers building applications in the cloud or moving applications to the cloud, which is something that is going to happen. And it wasn't very obvious at that time, but you know, I started researching that. And my, my first, uh, what I found as a big obstacle in that journey was identity and access management. That's how I encountered authentication and authorization as, as a problem. It wasn't a problem before cloud computing, uh, or it was a problem, but not sufficiently painful for people to pay attention to it in a way that made sense. And so 
I was lucky that I was tasked with that, you know, project. I ended up working with Matthias as a subject matter expert. So I got to know him. We ended up publishing two books on the problem. You know, it was like, hey, you're a developer. Here's what you need to know on all things authentication and authorization. If you're a developer building in the cloud, in the cloud computing world. And that was actually the genesis of, of OutZero. Yeah, I've heard it say uh, that luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity, which is kind of like timing, right? I mean, you've prepared to some degree. You've you've been in your place at Microsoft. You've been learning the ranks. You've been, you know, understanding the value of teamwork, the components necessary to build a scalable, dynamic, capable team. And then you're tasked with this idea like, okay, figure out the roadblocks, the challenges, and identity and security being, you know, sort of one of the things that you really keyed on. How did you transition from that I suppose that insight, you know, that timing, that preparation to to catapult that into, okay, I'm going to resign, move along. Even in that process, did you burn your bridges? Probably not. But help me understand how you how you rationalize leaving this company that you're pinching yourself being at. Just take that risk and step away and do your own thing. Yeah. How did you do that? Well, uh, there's a couple couple of data points there. One is that at that time, there were a couple of companies that proved to me and to us that a business could be built around this notion of, you know, empowering developers to build better, faster, in our case, more secure software, right? Even with arguably boring things. So, you, you, you know, there's nothing really very sexy about authentication. Mm-hmm. Identity geeks and, and engineers, many, some of them might be super passionate about that specific problem, but it's not something that everybody wakes up, the entire world wakes up every morning and says, oh, yeah, let's learn how uh, cryptography works and digital signatures work. You know, it's, <laughs> you have other problems to solve. But at that time, there were companies like Twilio and Stripe and SendGrid and Heroku, just to name four that were like role models for me, that were taking arguably boring infrastructure requirements and making them easy to use and accessible for any developer in the world. SendGrid solve the problem of sending emails. Pretty mundane thing, pretty important thing, but not like a, wow, earth-shattering problem. Twilio was solving the problem of sending SMS messages and doing that in a, in a way that every, any developer in the planet could you know, SMS the, enable their applications. And they were very successful. So we, we kind of said, like, we are going to be the Twilio of authentication. We're going to be the Heroku of authentication or the SendGrid of authentication. Yeah. And that's what's one thing. But your question is, how do you leave the comfort of a company where you get paid every month? And in my case, I had a really nice job. Microsoft was super generous. They took care of me. I lived a good life, paid my mortgage, you know. Uh, provided for my family. So when I when I told my wife, hey, I really want to do this, 
um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a risk. And I felt guilty. I have this question. Am I being selfish in just trying to have this desire to build something from scratch and put all of that at risk? My family, my kids, my etc. Am I being selfish about it? So my wife, in her infinite wisdom, did two things for me. The first one is she said, well, you don't know anything about building companies, so maybe you should go and learn how to build a company. Uh, you're a great engineer, uh, maybe, but uh, you don't know anything about businesses. So that's one thing she did. But the other thing she did was she said something that really stuck with me. And it was a good proof of, you know, our true deep partnership in life. Because she said, like, you only regret the things that you never do. It's the things that you look back in your life and you say, I should have done that. I should have done this or tried this thing. You don't typically regret the things that you do and then don't work out because you learn from them. So, yeah, at least you try. Yeah. The learn how to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I joined uh, like a, you know, like an incubator program here in Seattle and I spent a, a little bit of time there and it was great. Uh, it was a little bit like those um, reality shows where, you know, you pitch an idea, you get feedback and then you get graded and, you know, eventually you have to leave the island, that, that kind of thing. Uh, I never quit. Uh, but I was kicked out of the pro. Eventually, they said, like, look, you know, your idea will not work or this is not going to happen. So, sorry. Either you change your idea or, you know, you or you have to leave. And so I left because that's the only idea I had. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. OK, so somebody said no to an early version of what has become a zero in an incubator state. They actually said. I have good news and bad news for you because the words were, are burnt in my, in my brain. They said, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is that this is a problem. It is a problem. And it's probably a problem that there's, you know, there's a market. There's millions of dollars out there in the world potentially um, f trying to find a solution for the problem. The bad news is that you will not do it. You're, there's no opportunity for you. I felt angry and I felt um, like really, it wasn't pleasant. But I took a step back from that first reaction and I tried to understand why. First of all, I took the first one to say like, there's a problem. Great, that's validation. And second, the, the, you're not going to do it. Why am not the person to do it? And there was a lot of truth in what I heard from them. Because, you know, it's not pleasant, but it was true. You know, I wasn't maybe ready. The pitch was not great. The way I presented the, the, the product was not very compelling. The way I originally wanted to sell it was not um, probably the best way of selling it. So they were right. And, uh, but I, I chose to stick to, to it. I left that program and then um, I took my, wife, my wife's advice of trying. And so I, I, 
maybe the lesson there is like you can spend all the time in theory and with feedback you know that people will tell their their opinions to you this will oh do this do that you should do this you shouldn't do that but there's nothing like doing the truth is in doing and you cannot learn in your brain only like in imagination and they also fears are oftentimes only in imagination. So I resigned from Microsoft. I fear I will not be able to provide for my family. I fear I will not be able to pay the mortgage. I fear that I will, I don't know, everything is going to be terrible. In reality, that's all in our minds. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, the fact is it has not happened. And so... I resigned, and um, I remember my wife and I signed a contract—not a real contract, but it's a piece of—it was a piece of paper that had like statements of progress. Things like you have to ship a version of this thing, you have to find a paying customer, and she insisted on the paying part. You have to find a paying customer in the next uh, three months, and this thing will last one year. This trial, this experiment, will last one year. If in one year these things are not met, then you just go and you, you can say, I tried, and you go back and find a job someplace, Microsoft or some other place. Mm. And that was it. That's how it all started. I resigned in December of 2012, and I started the company with Matthias in January 2013. Wow. That's really interesting. I like the the contract notion of it because that puts down on paper, you know, sometimes we we will have dreams, you know, we'll have goals and dreams, I think, are sort of two uh, conflated things sometimes because goals aren't dreams and dreams aren't goals, and there's a difference there. And so when something changes when you put it down on paper, especially when you unite with someone else like your wife, you know, your partner in the viability of your life, you know, the whole reason why you probably get up in the morning is probably not because necessarily of off zero. That's one part of it. Sure. But first it's your wife and the rest of your family, of course, at least that's what I would assume based upon what I've learned about you so far. There's something that happens when you put things like that down on paper. Something you said though, with the person that said no, they didn't say no to off zero. They said no to you. And sometimes when we hear no, sometimes it's not right now. Instead of no, it's just, it's not you right now, Eugenia. Maybe, maybe you got to learn some things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's good that you took it that way. Rather, I mean, you said that there was some upset uh, part of you about that too, but it's good that you reflected. And I think sometimes the lesson I hear, at least in, in what you shared there, was this aspect of taking the feedback we've talked about before this fear, this feedback of, of life that happens with us and reflecting on it. What does it really mean? Yes. Is it reflecting on the current me or is it reflecting on the true me? Is this really true? Is this just in my imagination? How can I evolve? We like to think of ourselves as being rational beings. And we are, you know, we are equipped with, with the ability to reason and to look at facts and use facts to draw conclusions. But we are also 
we have emotions and we have like part of our of our own selves that um, react to events in ways that are not necessarily productive. And so when somebody tells you, oh, you're not going to do it, we interpret that immediately as you are incompetent. Yeah. You are incapable. You don't know anything. And so the first feeling is a feeling of our own identity being under attack. And, you know, that survival, it's you fight back and you say, how come? How come you say that I'm incompetent? That's And the underlying anger is like, how dare you say that I'm incompetent? Look at what I did in my life. You don't... Haven't you seen all, that, all the good stuff that I've done in my life? Look, I'm a principal program manager at Microsoft, with very successful. How you dare say I'm incompetent? That's the first reaction. We don't, we don't get angry at the fact, at the, at the event. We always get angry at our own judgment of that event. And so I realized... And I learned over time that it's okay to have the reaction and it's okay to feel the anger of feeling incom or, or somebody telling us that they are in, that we are incompetent. But that's not what they're saying. That what they were saying is like the product proposition was not compelling. The pricing model was not you know, nobody is going to be attracted to that. The way you're explaining the problem is not compelling enough. So when you take the, the time to drill down into the facts, not the reactions, the facts of this person said this, that's all they said, that's all that happened, really. Then we can make progress. And I, I would say the other thing. Why do we assign so much value or so much weight to somebody's opinion? Because at the end of the day, it was somebody's opinion at that time. We assigned value because, you know, this was done in front of a lot of people. So I, I also will confess that I was embarrassed. I was in front of, you know, 50 other um, entrepreneurs, wannabes, and I was being shamed. I felt ashamed in front of all, all of them. And so that was, was preventing me from teasing out the, which I did afterwards, teasing out the actual facts and solve them and create a very version of my pitch and a very version of my product proposition, which eventually was successful. You know, clearly it was successful. Yeah. But uh, it took that changing my mindset a little bit, which for that I'm, I'm so grateful because once Otsiro started, guess what? We had like hundreds of rejections, hundreds of people telling us no, whether they were customers or investors. So the, like the rejection or the opinions and the, this teasing out opinions from facts and using them to improve, it's a muscle that we had to develop throughout the life of Otsiro, and still happens today. Yeah. 
And so it's, it, it was, it, it proved to be invaluable for us to continue to grow and to continue to evolve our company over time. Our last fundraise before the, or this merger, this transaction with the Okta was last year in, in 2020. And it was led by Salesforce. But it was not the only investor that we talked to. And even then, when we were like arguably a successful company with proven scale and sales and everything else, I still have investors saying no. Mm. Rejection happens uh, all the time. And, uh, you know, that's, as I said, a good lesson. Yeah. The thing I hear there is that, uh, is being able to leverage the inevitable rejection that you're going to have as an entrepreneur, as a maker, as a creator, as somebody with ideas that people just can't see. I would wager that the person who gave you the rejection and embarrassed you and gave you this necessary fuel maybe didn't even have the full story either of what was capable. You know, they didn't have your background with, you know, Visual Studio Code and .NET and the 13 years you put at Microsoft and the lessons learned. They didn't have that, what you knew. And so you can really only give their opinion that sort of face value. But the point is, is that you're, you're able to use these inevitable rejections, these inevitable no's as fuel. And I think that's a superpower for an entrepreneur because absolutely, what often happens as an entrepreneur, you're, as an entrepreneur, you see the goal, you see the possibility and people who don't have the mindset of an entrepreneur. And, and I think it's even debated whether you're born an entrepreneur or, or you can grow the skill of being an entrepreneur. But the point is, is that people who have an entrepreneurial mindset see goals and possibility and, and future and vision. And those who don't simply see roadblocks. They simply see what's not possible. You know, they see the things that are just holding them back or holding the thing back rather than like, if I have an idea that I feel so confident about, like you have, I can't see, I might be able to see the things that block me, but I see the thing that I want to see so clearly it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. Absolutely. When a couple things there that I think are, are worth um, maybe digging deeper from what you said. One is like, this person did not uh, shame me. I felt ashamed. But, you know, what, what you said is absolutely true. He didn't know everything. He didn't have all the context. I was not able to explain the full context to him for him to give me a better, maybe more informed opinion. It's not his fault. Now, uh, my, my first, our first reaction is typically, how dare you? You ashamed me. That's not what's, what was happening. And so, you know, that's a, that's a, I think that's a, that's a superpower. The other thing is that, you know, which I think it's, it should, it's, a, it's kind of like a prerequisite for entrepreneurship or for successful entrepreneurs is that obstacles and challenges, you can, you can become victim of that and say like, oh, you know, look what happened to me. They told me no to this uh, fundraise or to, to this round or, or a customer tells me no. See, the world is against me and I'm like the victim of what's, what's happening around me. I think the a success, a more positive approach and a, a one a more effective approach, actually, is to see all obstacles as opportunities. They're just, they're there not to prevent you from moving forward. They are tests 
to to check how much you want what's behind them. You know, it's like the same way you 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 go to the gym you and you put more plates on your barbell. Well, the goal is not to hurt your muscles, is to make them stronger. And to make them stronger, you're required to put like a bigger obstacle, not like a smaller obstacle. So that's how I see obstacles. Obstacles are not there to, to just make your life miserable. You can choose to make your life miserable with obstacles, but you can choose also to analyze them, unwrap them, and help you make them better. So if a customer complains to you and says like, oh, you know, your product is awful, you can choose to say, oh, they know nothing. They don't understand. They are like, you know, completely, they're, you know, idiots. How come? Or you can say, really, tell me more. What's missing? What were you expecting? What were you doing? And, you know, in our, in our journey, we had like so many customers telling us that the product didn't work for them, or we had an outage and the system was down and they call me angry and say, and upset saying like, you were down for five minutes. That's terrible. You know, I lost a lot of money. I lost credibility with my own customers and I apologized and I, and I say like, Tell me more about the patterns of how you use our system. Maybe we can we use all of those to make our system better and to make it stronger and to deliver features that were more in tune with what the customer wants. So complaints and rejections from customers are kind of gifts that they're wrapped in a nasty envelope. And once you get over the nastiness of the envelope, you can go into the gift that you can use in your favor. I love that. That is an awesome lesson. All right. Hope you're enjoying the show. This is our one and only break for the show. Coming up, Eugenio shares what's beyond the mountains he's had to climb to build this great company. The question he answers is, how do you build a great company? How do you build a company capable of achieving such greatness? That's next. This episode is brought to you by Snowplow Analytics. Snowplow is the behavioral data management platform for data teams. Maximize the value of your behavioral data using Snowplow Insights, a managed data platform that's built on leading open source tech leveraged by tens of thousands of users. Capture and process high quality behavioral data from all your platforms and your products and deliver that data to your cloud destination of choice. When marketing needs to make data informed decisions, when product needs next level understanding, and when analytics needs rich and accurate data Data, Snowplow is a solution for data teams who want to manage the collection, processing, and warehousing of data across all their platforms and products. Get started and experience Snowplow data for yourself at snowplowanalytics.com. Again, snowplowanalytics.com. And by SendInBlue. SendInBlue is a fantastic platform for growing businesses who want their digital marketing and sales tools to help them thrive. 
do it all. Email marketing, marketing automation, CRM, transactional emails, smart segmentation, live chat for your site, landing pages, sign up forms on Facebook ads. Take your digital marketing to the next level. Head to sendinblue.com slash founders talk and use the code founders talk to get one free month and 100,000 emails. Again, sendinblue.com slash founders talk. camping out tremendously in this lesson, which really is just the beginning of this mountain that you've climbed and the value that you've brought to market. Uh, laser focused on software developers, enabling software developers to be able to do things that uh, you know, they weren't able to do before because of the cloud, because of the need to take applications to the cloud. How can you do that with identity, with, with security, with all those things in mind? Uh, you'd mentioned the most recent funding round which you said you got a lot of no's to, or at least a few, led by Salesforce, I believe, is that Salesforce Ventures? Yeah. $120 million in funding last July, eight years in business before you were um, acquired by Okta for $6.5 billion. So I'd say that you've climbed the mountain, you've created the value, and all the, all the details in there are building a great company, right? How do you build that great company. We only have a few minutes left, so I know that we've got limited time. This is a short run for this show. We might have to have you back on when you have more time to kind of go deeper, but what can we cover around those eight years, creating that value? So you go from this rejection, this no, you learn how to unpack this nasty gift and learn from it. How do you then create the the company that's capable of creating that kind of value? Yeah, there's quite a bit there. I think uh, I'll mention a few things that I think are important. One of them is the, you know, very, being very, very clear about your, who you are, you know, in, in terms of your, what we call culture of the company. But culture, you know, is this term that we use maybe loosely and then it's difficult to maybe grasp in practice. Mm-hmm. You say, well, what's culture? And I hear sometimes people say, well, this is a fluffy thing. Actually, culture is not not fluffy at all. It's, it's really um, a set of, in my, from my view, it's like a set of four questions. That's what makes your culture, what we call culture. And it's like the answer for four questions. The first question, the first question is like, why are you here? What's the purpose of your company? The second is, what is it that you do? What, what do you provide? And, you know, mission as an as, as a word, it's oftentimes associated with this first question, which is what is why are we here? Um, but I like the question because you know that's that's a more you, then you can frame the answer in plain English. I don't like mission statements that are like all pompous and and used you know complicated English words that nobody uses in their daily lives. Yeah. Relatable. I like uh, playing English explanations. And so I say, like, why are you here? We are here to secure world's identities so the innovators of the world can innovate. That's what we, why we're here. What do, you pro- what do you do? We provide an authentication and authorization service for developers. That's what we do. And then the third question is, how do you behave? What are the behaviors 
that are non-negotiable in your company. And, you know, you t- we tend to associate those with our values, with the core values of the company. But I don't like values. Companies frequently use core values as a, a feel good things. And so they say, we are uh, honest and high in, we have high integrity. And I ask, you know, who would declare not to be honest or not to be to high, high integrity? It's like, it's like almost like a, like a, a table stakes thing in business. Yeah. And so that's not your core value. That's, Obviously, every company in the in the planet should be honest and have high integrity. So it's not differentiating enough. I think companies need to make, to have, do the work of finding their own behaviors that are distinguishing from, that, that are non-negotiable for, in, in anything they do, and they have to use those to make decisions early on. And so in our case, we have three values. The first one, it's called We Give a Shit, which is a really care. That's the the behavior of caring about everything we do, caring about ourselves, customers, team, product, pride in craftsmanship, you know, that kind of thing. The second one is called N plus one greater than N. And it's it's this behavior of permanent improvement. Perfection is unattainable. But striving for perfection is. And you can always plus one, you can always add to what you have. Even if it's a small piece, you can, then makes you a little bit better. Permanent improvement, permanent learning, permanent bettering of your, yourself, the product, everything. And the last one is called one team, one score. And I always use this soccer analogy that I mentioned before, right? So we win as a team. Yeah. It's a symphony. It's not a solo. That's the three things that are non-negotiable in zero, And we use it all the time. And we call them in those terms because we want them to be memorable. We want to, people to remember them in every aspect of their activities in their jobs. The last question is, how do you win? In business, how are you different from other offerings and other options for solving the same problem? I think companies that have those four questions clear and they provide clear answers and they reinforce those four answers all the time. And every new member, any new colleague that we have in a company learns from those four and essentially embeds those four questions in everything they do, then they are set up for a good place, you know, better chances of success. I love those four questions. And uh, I love the core values you have too, because I'm telling you, I'm not even kidding with you when I say this, they're the same as ours. We say (laughs) them a little differently. They mean the same, but they're, they're basically the, they're not one for one the same, but they mean the same. So our intent is the same. So first one for us is care. We have to care. We have to show up and care every single day. And we have another principle, which is Kaizen. It's Japanese for continuous improvement. Essentially, N plus one is greater than N. You know, I mean, very similar. You can always improve. We're committed to continuously improving. There's always more that we can do. And I, I agree. Perfection is unattainable, but striving for it is certainly capable by anybody in the team. 
And then, you know, we say one team, one dream, basically. One team, one score, one team, one dream, pretty much the same. So hopefully, because I mirror your values, maybe our small indie media business will one day be worth as much. I don't think so. But at least the value we bring, even if it's not dollars value, the same as yours, we can bring the same desire and care for developers and, and desire and care for the community and desire and care for the people that work with us in this business because we love showing up. And I think stories like yours are super awesome. And I'm, I'm so thankful. I wish we had more time. Hopefully you can come back and, and share more time with me and tell me more of the story. Can I share one more thing, maybe? Please, yeah. By all means, yeah. Maybe as a, I think there's another, there's another component for success. Recently, I read, uh, not too long ago, I read a book. It's called The Infinite Game. And it's from Simon Sinek. So this one in particular struck a chord with me. Because, you know, it's, in essence, what, what he's saying is that there's two types of games. There's, inf- there's finite games and there's infinite games. So in finite games, the rules are fixed. The players are fixed. The, there's a beginning and an end. And there's, there's winners and there's losers. Clear, you know, soccer, to bring it back, it's a finite game. It lasts 90 minutes, it's 11 players or 22 players, and the rules are very simple. You know, you score more than the other. That's it. That's a finite game. We believe that businesses, and we operate businesses, sometimes as finite games too, which is a mistake, because businesses are not finite games. The best businesses are not those that think and operate as finite games even though we sometimes use the jargon of finite games. So we say, you know, we win a deal. We, we made this quarter. We beat the goal of the, of the quarter. We sold more, etc. We do that for planning purposes and for execution purposes. But if you think as a company, as an infinite game, that it's, uh, you're never done. And you're never, you know, the winning is actually staying in the game as long as possible. And there's no end to it. It's not, we are done. So I, I hate, you know, when people congratulate me and they say, uh, congratulations on your exit. <laughs> yeah. There's no exit for me. And there's no, I don't see this as an exit or as an end. This is just, you know, a, a new a game that continues and uh, we will continue to deliver, answer the four questions in a different setting, but uh, this doesn't end. This continues. So I would encourage uh, people and entrepreneurs to think long-term if you want to win in the short term and think of, uh, think of building businesses almost as, as the, the goal of being healthy being healthy, like the fact that you are eating properly and taking care of yourself and you're healthy, doesn't, it's not a win. It's a, that's great, but staying healthy, it's a constant effort. Building a great company, it's a never ending effort. I'm glad you said that because that's, that's actually one point I wanted to make with this conversation with you because I read in your uh, interview with GeekWire back during the acquisition, just after, I believe, when you had that interview with them. And, and one thing I hear you saying, I want to make sure that the audience hears this, is that 
I'm going to paraphrase what you said, so help me clarify this. But you basically said that I see this not as an exit, but as a, a it's a big milestone for sure. It's amazing for the company, this acquisition, this unification between Okta and Auth0. But you saw it as a new beginning, a, a, you know, a new start, essentially, not from zero, but a new start because you now have, you know, brand new dreams and expanded dreams and possibilities and, you know, a partner in crime, so to speak, in Okta and Todd McKinnon and the leadership there to do the goals you continue to do. The acquisition was not a takeover. The brand continues. Some other details, it's an all stock deal by design to some degree from your part. If it was a cash out, then that would have been a different story. You know, you bought into the future of Okta, which means you hold Okta stock, which means you bet on the long term of the of the partnership between you and them. So this is a I'm putting a lot of words out that I know you you said, but so feel free to add some more there. But I would say that, you know, I think Todd McKinnon uh, as a founder and as a CEO, as a builder, you know, we share so many of, you know, same traits and interests. And, you know, I feel very, very close to the same, the same relationship that I had with Matthias. Yeah. When we started the company. And so with him, I, in a recent All Hands, this is not published, so this is, uh, it wasn't published anywhere else, but it wasn't, it's something we said in an All Hands for the entire company, not too long ago. I said, in a different world, in a different time, you know, if I had been born in San Francisco or in the US, or if Todd had been born in Argentina, maybe, I totally see the opportunity of us creating a company from scratch. And so like as a, as a true co-founder and partner, you see, because, you know, we share a lot of the same uh, convictions and philosophy of, of building companies. And he said, like, we started a new company in March. And so you can see this transaction as being like, we're taking two things that were successful on their own and now we're starting a new thing that takes the best of these two and creates a new one that it's going to be even better even more impactful even more will bring more value to to the business to the market and so in a way we are like co-founders of a of a new thing that starts in in it started in march and yes being an all stock deal it's a little bit of a representation of that because, you know, I'm not living and I want to, I want the upside of what we're going to be building in the future. And I want that upside for me personally, but I also want the upside for the investors and for my colleagues in, in, in the company that also are owners of, of the adventure. Yeah. Well, let me say congratulations, not on the exit, but on the new beginning, because I think that's awesome. I think it's a great way to frame it. Thank you so much for taking the time to share this story with me and with the listeners of Founders Talk. We, I'm rooting for you as well. Uh, from the silence, of course, I'm not in the game with you, but whenever you have wins, just imagine me there going, go, Eugenia, go, Eugenia. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Adam. But thank you for your time. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What's up, Adam here. Thank you so much for tuning in to Founders Talk. If you enjoyed this show, do me a favor, share it on Twitter, share it on Insta, share it with a friend. Tell someone you love this show if you got value from it. As you know, we're backed by some awesome partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Check them out. We get tremendous value from their services, and you might as well. 
Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our awesome beats. Breakmaster is our beats master in residence. Thanks again for tuning in. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time.